This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Good evening, both of you. Evening. I don't know what time of the day you're listening to this, honestly, so good um, greetings. Greetings to you who are listening. This is the Great Song Podcast. My name is Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And uh, we're here to just talk about the best songs ever. Ever. Ever, ever, ever made. Um, although, let's be honest, they'll probably be all from the last 50 years, all made by Americans and uh, whatever. So let's let's just say that up front. Let us do this. Let's not, not kid anybody here. These are the best American, probably pop rock songs of the last 50 years. That we like. That we like. Not even, we don't really care about your taste. It's mostly about what we like. Because ours is correct. Our taste is right. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it for your enjoyment. Um, a little background on us, if you care. If you don't, skip ahead by about two minutes. Um, JP and I were roommates in college and bonded over music of all sorts. Um, JP is the reason I'm called Rob, not Robert. You're welcome. Thank you very much. It was a good change. Um, and... Uh, I am a, I'm kind of a music theory nerd and I love songwriting and JP is... I like the UT Vols, the Wonder Years, <laughs> Ping Pong, and anything involving Richard Belding from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> so I will be a good fit for this podcast. Also, what he neglected to say is that he is a licensed musicologist. Um, I actually don't know if you can get a license for that, but he is maybe the most astute student of of just pop music and music in general that I know. He makes all these great connections and and knows hidden facts about all these things. So uh, we thought, hey, what the heck? Uh, let's make a podcast, and I'll tell you how it started. I was driving down the road uh, after taking my son to school in the morning, and the song Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn was on the radio. And I'm listening to it. The third verse hits, and, and there's the line in the third verse that says, uh, she said, tell me, are you a Christian child? And I said, ma'am, I am tonight. And I thought, my gosh, what an amazing line. What a great song and what an amazing line. I thought you could literally make an entire podcast about just how great that line is. And then I, and then I, I, just, I just stopped and I thought, oh my gosh, you really could make an entire podcast about how great that line is. So he called seven friends <laughs> and on the seventh one I answered. <laughs> That's right. I called... I went through all the favorites in my phone first, and none of them wanted to do it. Um, so I got JP. No, literally, he was the fr- immediately just stuff started going off in my brain. I've got to call JP, see if he wants to do this podcast with me. Um, and so we're just going to take one song a week and break it down. We're going to tell you the background. We're going to tell you who played on it, who produced it, all the all the behind the scenes stuff about it, uh, and then we're going to tell you why we love it and why you should too. What you can't see is that I'm head nodding along here. It's great for radio. So, we're going to start today with Walking in Memphis from Mark Cohn. Let's have a listen. Put on my 
my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain W.C. Handy, won't you look down over me Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be Then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis But do I really feel the way I feel? So there it is, the opening tones of the great song, great song, Walking in Memphis, uh, written by Mark Cohn, released in 1992, uh, and was nominated for um, Song of the Year uh, at did the 1992 win. Grammys. Did not win. I honestly, do you know who it lost to? I did not. Such oh. wonderful homework we have done. Man, we're already failing on homework. Okay, so we're going to break this down. We've each done our own research, but we have not talked about it. So um, basically all I did, I just copied and pasted Wikipedia. Um, and I don't know what, J, JP probably actually called the producer and... I actually have my vinyl inner liner notes and... You do. I, I brought He's the actual not vinyls and cassette tapes and CD covers. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, yes, the song was nominated for Song of the Year in 1992 and Mark Cohn for Best Pop Male Vocalist. Uh, didn't win either of those, but Cohn won Best New Artist in 1992 and then uh, failed to live up to that uh, high set standard again. But you know what? God bless him for it. Uh, okay, so uh, one of the first thing that I noticed about this song, that it's been covered by a lot of people. Correct. Like a whole lot of people, most notably uh, Cher. I wrote a cover section on my little little note sheet here yeah yeah i actually put worst cover ever by Cher. that was my least favorite apparently she apologized for it basically later uh, on tour that like i'm sorry this was bad what uh, did you think of the intro riff it's not right have you I, listened no to, i did not listen to, to it. it what's it, it sound like it's just wrong just listen. <laughs> is it on piano it's on piano obviously it's in a different key yeah because Cher's singing it not mark cone but it's just it's just wrong so do yourself a favor and listen to the wrongness of the intro mm. which is my favorite part of <laughs> the song which is the the hook intro riff oh share uh-huh. uh other notable covers lone star well, um, that actually got my bearable best cover i got that one as you bearable. have them ranked i have okay. those and then i have a couple of honorable mentions john tesh yes Dead instrumental Boy, and paul anka yeah me well, too. how about that what did you look at that similar homework all right and uh now I, the the cover that i dug into a little bit uh was the electronic adaptation released in 1992 i don't know if you caught this but this song was covered by several like eastern european groups or like Swedish, German, that whole like I don't know why it got very popular, uh, and they and they decided to just cover it. A whole lot of people from that area, but there was a there was a group in 1992 called Shut Up and Dance, and they released a it was a cover, but not word for word. I saw the cover of that, and I thought that was the name of the album. I did not know that was the name of the band. That was the name of the band, Shut Up and Dance. The song was called Raving. I'm raving, and literally they took Walking in Memphis. And they made it a song about going to a rave. and Nothing they, says let's rave like walking like, in Memphis. Like soft piano <laughs> and dulcet tones, Mark Cone. <laughs> but it, literally, it's like raving, I'm raving. It's like <laughs> I got my glow stick and whatever. And apparently it was wildly popular for a second. It, sh- it shot to the top of the charts. But, but then 
uh, it stopped getting airplay because they had not gotten clearance to use the original version of the song. They never cleared it with Mark Cohn's people and and his record company to use a, a semblance of the song. So there's a lot of Germans that recorded that on cassette like we used to off the radio. Yes. That that's the best. That's comp- how I saw it was yeah. that someone had recorded it off of a recording yeah. and put it on YouTube. Um, and so it's terrible. It's really bad. So it was, it was taken off the charts and they were ordered to give away all their profits. They had to give away all their profits to charity and they made nothing off the song, but there's still, there are people out there who were like, that was the best version. And then walk the moon said, let's write a song after the, yes, we'll go call it, shut up and dance. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, of course, if you write a great song, it's going to get covered by other people. Like that's part of the goal. You want like you want to write something that other people want to sing and make their own. And so obviously, uh, Cone did a great job of that on this song. Um, he was, this is something I found very interesting. And I think this is where we'll get into the meat of our sort of talking about it is that I I had no idea about this, but he says this song is 100% autobiographical Mm -hmm. that, um, and, and, and the, the story behind it is, you, do you want to jump well, in? Well, no, I was just going to say, he's a Jewish gospel music lover. Yeah. I read that somewhere. That's, I mean, he essentially cap, cap, encapsulized, cap, capsulized, capsulated, encapsulated. Whew, he summarized the song as uh, a song about a Jewish gospel music lover. And he said it was about a, a, a pretty literal visit to Memphis, Tennessee, um, and putting it in that light, I didn't know, I'd never thought about, is Mark Cohen Jewish or Buddhist or whatever? Um, but uh, apparently a lot of people, because of the third verse of the song, the line about, are you a Christian, believe that he was like a born-again Christian. I've never thought that because of that line. Have you? No, I thought actually the complete opposite. Yeah. That he, because of that line, he was that night. But exactly. he's the furthest thing in the world from a Christian. Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought too. I always thought... I I never I never once gave a thought about there's nothing in the song that's like and I'm Jewish you know there, so it's not obvious unless you just know that or should you, have been the fourth verse yeah <laughs> hey, hey everybody I'm Jewish <laughs> yeah. um but, and then Rod, but, Rod Carew comes out and does it <laughs> but I always thought I just always thought this it was a song about a songwriter and and basically in him saying ma'am I am tonight. That, that he was sort of saying, man, I'll be anything for a second. Like, See, I'll, I'll jump straight to that since we're jump, jumping in it. I kind of, how do you picture Muriel? Uh, I, I kind of picture Aretha Franklin, to be really? honest. Really? I'm completely opposite. Like, I, the first time I, like, when I first was listening to it through my entire childhood, I thought it's some beautiful young girl with an old person name. <laughs> like, it's this really hot... 20-something-year-old whose parents are just so mean and named her Muriel. And so this is his... This Apologies is his, to all the Muriels Yeah, out sorry, there. Muriel, if you're out there. Sorry, Muriel Mays or whatever you're... Uh, anyway, the... Uh, actually, her last name is Muriel Wilkins. I yes, did Wilkins. Some, some homework on her, but we can talk about that later. But uh, yeah, I just always thought that was like his pickup line. Like, <laughs> tell me, are you... Well, yeah, if you are, I hey, am tonight. That's hey, my, baby. That was my uh, my initial if you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Yeah. What are you doing later? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, then I've done some homework on Muriel Wilkins a little bit. So. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, so, so, um, but uh, but hearing that song, hearing this song through that lens, really opened it up for me. Like the second I saw him, the second I read him say it's about a Jewish guy who falls in love with gospel music, I heard the song completely differently, and um, 
And so he said it was about a, a literal visit to Memphis. Uh, he had been kind of down on his own writing. He was 26 or 27 at the time and was trying to get signed, trying to break in as a songwriter. Um, and he, he realized, he said that he was not in love with any of his songs. He realized he didn't have like the great song that was going to be his signature. And I heard this one didn't even almost make it on the album. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so he, um, he was trying to get some inspiration and he read an interview with James Taylor, who will undoubtedly one day end up on this podcast and probably multiple times. Um, maybe in person, maybe you never know. And if we do the impersonation right, you'll never know. That's right. And like, if you guys keep listening, you might catch the James Taylor week when he's here. <laughs> It'll be a surprise, so you're just going to have to listen. Um, he read an interview Mom, with... Dad, pay attention. <laughs> he read an interview with James Taylor where James Taylor suggesting suggested putting yourself in an unfamiliar setting uh, in a place you've never been before to kind of produce an idea that you wouldn't be able to produce at home. Um, so to put yourself somewhere unfamiliar and whatever. And so Cone took the advice of James Taylor and got rich off of it. Basically he uh, goes to Memphis and, um, and has this incredible experience as a, as a Jewish guy who falls in love with like the spirit of the gospel music vibe in, in Memphis. Um, now I think uh, as you and I are both gospel ministers, we would probably have something else to say about probably what he was uh, being drawn Experienced, by yeah. yes uh, but maybe we'll save that for another podcast but I just think it's so fascinating that he gets so caught up and it really makes the line I've always thought the line in the chorus about do I really feel the way I feel never it always sounded like a throwaway line to me I don't know about you but I, it never quite connected until it, until I realized this is a guy that's realizing he's having some sort of awakening or that's really good whatever and he's like is this real like is, he's like David after the dentist is this real life yeah. like he's like the, the YouTube kid um, so he he realizes has this meta moment where he realizes he's in the middle of this awakening and he's like you know D- is this even real do I even f- really feel this way you know I'm so caught up in this um, so it makes the it makes the whole thing I think ten times more interesting even than it was before. Um, he he went to you know he did all the Memphisy things he went to Graceland um, he went to he specifically the, went uh, to Al be Green's in a church. service at Al Green's yep. church um, and he which said, is referenced in the song which is referenced in the song Reverend Green uh, he he said it was it was like a three hour service. And he said it was, he said you expected after a while, you know, for his voice to give out or like whatever, but he said his, he, his voice got better, his band got better and he was just got wrapped up in this whole service. He said he ends up uh, like crying and sweating and like not even knowing what to do with himself. Totally enveloped. Anytime you go to a place called the Full Gospel Tabernacle Church. I mean, you know, you're going to get hit with something. Something. The Full Gospel Tabernacle with Al Green at the microphone. You're going to have an experience of some kind. And so after three hours, he still finds himself just enraptured um, at this at this church service. Um, and then his his friends tell him, you need to go to this place called the Hollywood. Is it a club, a bar? Casino. Oh, it's a casino. Yeah, okay. it's a casino. And, and you need to see this lady named Muriel Wilkins. You want to tell us a little yeah. bit more? Well, no, I just, I know that she's, she was in her 60s when she was there and she would play her her little songs at the evening. And uh, I know he went up and actually she asked him to do some songs with her. 
and she would feed him lines like they were doing like because go- he didn't know go- he didn't she know- did gospel music he didn't know any gospel music he's Jewish so he just remember I know that I, I saw an inter- I read an interview and the one that he remembers ending with was Amazing Grace that they ended with Amazing Grace and uh, at the end of it she was like um, I, I wrote down her quote it was like child you can let go now yeah I thought that was really and, good like you can go do your thing and he can and he was. Uh, I think he lost one or both of his parents at an early age yeah, and always was, sort of dealt with that and mm-hmm. and whatever. And he said it was just a surreal moment for him. Like he he really felt like there was this weight off his shoulders at that point. And then and then he was able to go back home and write about the experience. And it turns into um, the song Walking in Memphis. Um, Muriel Wilkins, I think she passed away. She heard the song. She heard his demo of Walking in Memphis, but never got to hear the album. She died shortly before the album was released. I didn't know that. Um, and so you did more Muriel Wilkins homework than I I mean, did. look, I, you know, I don't know. I was trying to think of something funny to say, but I didn't have it. So yeah, she didn't quite make it. Um, but he did go back to visit her and they stayed in touch. And um, she, I believe, attended his wedding, I think if I remember correctly. And Which one? Or did he married when he married Elizabeth Vargas? That, I I didn't okay. go there. Well, I'll, I can give a little. That, that's in my Mark Do Cohen it. random facts Do thing. It. But he actually married random a, facts. Yeah, that's we'll put a jingle in there sometime. He married a CNN personality Elizabeth Vargas, and he was introduced to her by. Oh, this will be a fun game. It's a famous tennis player. Guess Rob. A fa- male famous female. tennis player in the eighties nineties. Male Jimmy Connors. Not Jimmy Connors. John Andre McEnroe. Agassi. Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi. So he actually introduced them. So there's really your, there's your tennis reference. Okay, and let's do a random Andre Agassi fact. <laughs> so this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I got great on under great under great sidebar. Um, under under uh, underappreciated as a songwriter, Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi, best fr- his two best friends at the time were ironically enough other musicians. So interesting. One is a instrumentalist, and the other is tell me a, it's Yanni. Is it Yanni? It's not Yanni, oh. but similar hair, same <laughs> era, both bald with long hair. Think about it. Not Yanni, the other instrumentalist. What does he play? Saxophone. 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 Bald, long hair, mustache. Kenny G, Kenny G, Kenny G, and the other best friend, also bald with long hair. Vocalist wrote, um, I mean, I can't give a hit away. Same era, Michael Bolton. My, so Michael oh Bolton, gosh. Kenny G, and Andre Agassi are all the best of friends. They're just so tight. For those of y'all at home, and Andre Agassi's favorite musician at the time was Barry Manilow. So there you go. Right, there's your man. there's your random circle of nothingness to do with this podcast. That that was not even on JP's notes. That just came. That out. I, I I just pulled that out of nowhere. So that's that's a, yeah, fantastic. So, thank you. That's why I get to be on here. For so non walking in Memphis related stuff. <laughs> so uh, okay. So what do we know so far? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to throw you off there. So okay, where where were we before we got off on that amazing rabbit trail? Uh, Muriel Wilkins. Oh, she attended his wedding. Yes, wedding. Wedding, because we went off on wife. Um, So the demo of Walking in Memphis got Mark Cohn signed to Atlantic Records and became his debut single. And of course, blew up um, and is still being played, you know, across America to this day. Um, Interesting thing, they kind of struggled to get it recorded. Once he got it in demo form, they kind of of struggled to get the, the final version recorded. 
They uh, recorded several different bands and several different sort of iterations of the song. Yeah, just him on piano. Yeah, and and him without piano. Now, what I don't have, do you have any any info on the other versions? I don't think they're out there, as far I, as I know, or who played. I know on that them. he the the they did one without him on piano that he liked. Um, but that, that would have been strange. Yeah. But then they were like, no, you have to have your piano. Did somebody else play piano? You know? No, I, I can't remember. It was just a piano version. I can't remember how I didn't get all the specs on that, but it was not him playing piano I gotcha. on one of the versions. Either it was somebody else or one without piano. And they said to him, you need to be playing the piano on yeah. your, that would have been strange. Yeah. It would have been weird. Uh, one version that they didn't use featured Steve Gadd on drums. On drums, yeah, I didn't. Um, I saw that. And after a long session, they were still trying to get it right. It just wasn't feeling right, and so he suggested that all the players switch instruments. And, oh, I didn't know that. Um, and cool. neither version was used. Okay. I, um, I would like to have heard both of those. Honestly, I don't know who else was involved in that session, but um, but they ended up using uh, the, the final recorded versions featured uh, John Leventhal on bass. Mm-hmm. Denny McDermott on drums yep. and Chris Palmero on organ. Do you have any and, notes on them? And it, yeah, there's extra um, an extra keys player that played on the album that did some back keys work too. A guy okay. named Eric Rail, but I don't know anything about him. But I can Talk about. I like the Meet the Band section. Yep, this is absolutely, that Meet I really the enjoy. Band. Meet the Band. So actually, uh, Chris Palmero, the organ, he played organ on there. Mm-hmm. He actually only played on this one track on the whole album. Really, this is the only track that he plays on, um, and he actually played on another album that I really like. That's Richie Stra- Sambora, Stranger in This Town album. Yes. So that's a really good album from that era, which we will probably not do a podcast on because probably. it is not one of the greatest of anything. But it's, really I really like it. it, so it's very good. Uh, he's no Andre Agassi. He is no <laughs> Andre Agassi. Yes, <laughs> I am clapping, but not in the mic, so it's not to make noise. Um, Chris Palmer also uh, was in the Saturday Night Live band. Yes, yes, I knew that. 80s. That was my other my other fact. Good call on that. And um, I, do you have other? I've got more. I've got more on Palmer. No, roll it. I went Keep deep it. on Palmer. Okay, Let me tell go ahead. You. Keep going. Uh, he also did some programming for uh, a, a young up and comer named Michael Jackson. Shut on, up. On the History album, the double disc oh, yeah. greatest hits. I have that. Um, he did some of the programming on disc one. I think of that. I guess I'm assuming that would have been the new songs. Um, and he played several instruments on Joan Osborne's Relish album, which was her was big that the album. One that God what is if God, one of us? Yeah, What If oh. God Was One of Us. Um, so Chris Palmero, I mean, he's made a, a fair career for himself. Yeah. He had some extensive things. Uh, then we had John Leventhal on bass. Yeah, five-time Grammy Award winner. My favorite fact about John Leventhal is he wrote Sunny Came Home. Yes. The Sean Coleman song. I love, yes. it's such a great song. And did you know that he married Roseanne Cash? No. Johnny Cash's eldest daughter. Wow. Yeah. So John Leventhal married John. Roseanne Cash. And I actually went off on a Roseanne Cash thing, but we've done enough sidebars, so let's stay, <laughs> on, stay on track. Uh, any okay. facts on Dennis McDermott? I don't know a thing about Denny McDermott. He I couldn't find anything. played with Boz Skaggs, and okay. he actually played drums on the David Wilcox Home album, which to nobody out there will care, but you might. Yeah. Because that album has um, ah, the... the um. What is it called? Uh, Show the way. Yeah, show, show the, the way. way. Show the way. Which we will definitely do an episode. Oh, that'd on. be cool. Show yeah. the way Something by David, David Wilcox. Wilcox related. Look for that one soon because that's great. Um, the song was recorded live to twenty-four track tape at Quad Recording Studios in New York City. Uh, Quad Recording Studios has hosted everyone, literally just about everyone in the last forty to fifty years: Mick Jagger, Missy Elliott, Metallica, John Mayer, tons more from every uh, every style. It's a it's a major. 
uh, recording studio in New York City. Um, but they they recorded live. Best I can tell, vocals were recorded live as well in an, an entirely live setting. Um, yeah, there's lots of vocalists listed on here that I didn't look. Yeah, up I didn't any get of, into the background vocals. Although you Sorry, know somewhere there's Ada like, Dyer, Vivian Cherry, Daryl Tooks, and Dennis Collins. No, no sorry, offense to you guys. Sorry guys. Um, good job. What if you'd have been like, oh, um, I don't know, Britney Spears was saying background <laughs> yeah, vocals right. on at 92. As a, she would have been as a two year old. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, this is for all the for all the gear nerds. Uh, lead vocals recorded on a vintage Neumann U sixty seven tube condenser through a Teletonics uh, LA two A compressor into an SSL console and an API EQ. Piano was a Steinway Grand yeah, mic with an I saw that. AKG. Do you know how, where he got why he wanted to use the Steinway? I don't. Bruce Hornsby. Really? Yes. He okay. wanted a Bruce Hornsby esque sound. Exactly. Something you'll find about us is that we're huge Bruce Hornsby fans. Well, and we will do a Bruce Hornsby podcast. There will definitely be a Bruce Hornsby version of this podcast. Probably multiple. There might be a Bruce Hornsby month. Um, but they they but I did see that they mic'd it uh, specifically with these AKG. Uh, C451 condensers uh, that are noted for being kind of an in-your-face, bright piano sound, a la the sound of Bruce Hornsby a few years prior. Um, like we said, the song was nominated for Song of the Year in 1992, Cone for Best Pop Male Vocalist. It won neither, but Cone won Best New Artist. Um, it charted in the U.S. At, on the Billboard Hot 100. It peaked at number 13. Um, it peaked at number 12 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary Charts. And number seven on the U.S. mainstream rock tracks. Now, think about the difference in 1992 and now that walking in Memphis was considered mainstream rock. Yeah. Like... Where would it fit now? Like, it's it's like 1992 Mark Cohn was basically Foo Fighters now. Oh, gosh. Like, it's sort of like light rock you know what I mean like it's just your basic rock and roll is what that was considered in 1992 which I find very amusing uh, do you have any other notes any uh, other te- technical notes uh, he was shot in the head in 2005 Mark Cohn was shot in the head what yeah Mark Cohn shot in the head 2005 it was uh, he was playing a show and there was a carjacker outside where he was playing I should have wrote down the venue he oh man I should have wrote that down but uh, yeah it's Guy tried to break into his the first car and didn't get in. His was the second vehicle, which was their band van, and he got shot in the head. And actually, had to cancel his tour for two thousand five. Oh so my sorry, God. those of y'all that had tickets to the second leg of the Mark Cohen tour. <laughs> sorry, all twelve of you out there, but wow. uh, yeah, there was a, you did get a refund. I, I looked that far to make sure that you you got that. But Man alive! Shot, okay. shot in the head. Shot right in the head. Uh, do you want to do theory talk? Yeah, do you have theory talk? You go. Well, I'll I'll throw this out there. If I sit down at the piano and somebody asks me to play a song, I'm probably gonna play "Walking in Memphis." It's and true. That's, uh, it's I a, know that to be true. It, it, Rob can verify that. That's my riff. That's my piano riff that I'm comfortable playing, mainly because it's a grand four chords, uh, <laughs> the old four five one six. But go ahead, Rob. You can. But it's got it's got a thing in it that I love. It would have been very simple to play. Uh, I love songs that. Uh, that take the music and shift it off the beat somewhere. And yes. it does that. So it goes, you, you get the beginning, the the very opening riff, uh, and let's hit that again just so if and you're you not familiar with the song so you can it hear it. It goes like so this. And if you're just listening, it sounds like it, it sounds like the, the accents the where, the, where yeah. the piano notes are hit hardest 
that's probably the beat. Like if you're not paying attention, you kind of think that's in the beat. And then he comes in and would immediately confuse that. So what happens is the very first one is played on the beat. So if you're going one, two, three, four, it goes one, two, three, four, and everything else except for the first beat is really ahead of the beat. So you kind of have to pay attention and not let the fact that a note is accented fool you into thinking that's the beat. And this is the stuff that makes us really smile. And this, I am cheesing so big right I now. I can hear people. I can hear people turning this off right now. Yeah. I can hear them just <laughs> turning their wheels to some other podcast because nobody cares. It's amazing. However, this is the this is the stuff that gets us going. Um this is what we talk about on our on our telephones. Yes. This is this, like, is, this Dude, did you hear did that? Did you hear this? Did you hear the chord on the Is there a key change? What key is Hotel California? Exactly. In? These are the conversations we have. Um so so immediately that that gets me going. I love it. it because it drives it's very uh you know, it's a very sort of driving rhythm. It's really simple. Um, but it's, it just is great. I like the big spaced intervals in the piano sound. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not as big a fan of really tight piano chords. I like them widespread open. And so this gives me that. Um, and then immediately the first, the first line is, uh, I put on my blue suede shoes and boarded the plane that gives you immediately a sense of what's happening. Like blue suede shoes evokes immediately Elvis, Elvis. and Carl Perkins. Yeah. And you think about, uh, you think about Graceland and Memphis. It doesn't take five seconds into the lyric. If you knew nothing else about the song, you could guess. What, you know where this guy's headed. You don't know why yet, but but you know where he's headed. He said he used to get a lot of flack because it's not really an Elvis tribute song. Right. I don't know. He saw that. And everybody was like talking about how it's not one of their favorite Elvis tribute songs. He's like, it's because it's not an it's, Elvis it's tribute not. song. He said it's very minimally about mm-hmm. Elvis. Like he, ha- I think he had to intentionally try and not make it feel like it was about Elvis because yeah. it's, it, you know, he's just not. But, um, and then he says, you know, I touched down in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain. Um, and so for me, I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I listen to the song, um, I, I, f- I feel rain the whole time. Like in my head the whole time, it's sort of dark and rainy. Um, and, and sort of blue lit. Like I've never video. seen the music video till this and I, I was happy to see that it's grayscale to start at the beginning because mm-hmm. that's how I visualize it in my head is grayscale like black and white interesting kinda. interesting um, and so so I'm with you on the yeah the whole reading. the whole um, the whole song has this very evocative imagery everything is you can see everything he's talking about like you can see you know the ghost of Elvis sneaking back down, you know, to the jungle room to meet some, you know, young, uh, young fan or whatever. Um, you can, you sort of feel the, um, you know, there's, uh, what is it? There's, um, catfish Catfish on the table table. and there's gospel in the air. What an incredible line. Like now I heard, I heard some people say that maybe the catfish on the table was, was sort of a, a reference, uh, about maybe some, um, not so holy dealings with young women. Did you see anything? I have nothing. Okay, you're, that's I, all. You're I personally thought that's baloney. I, I think it's. I yeah, take I it at face value. 
Everything else in the song is literal, you know, for the most part. I get so thrown off on that line because that's where the actual progression changes. The yes, that's, that's the, the, the the whole progression is the same for the for the verse and the chorus, and that's the one spot where it changes to sort of a flat seven over one. If you're a if you're a theory person, uh, what key is the song in? It's in C, it's but it starts C. on the four. Okay, so it's so F G. So, so that section it, it yeah. would go to a B flat over C, and then it kind of resolves to a C chord. Um, and that's the only section that is that is different musically as far as chords. Um, and Catfish on the Table, Gospel in the Air is just a perfect, I think, encapsulation of it's it feels southern uh, and it gets across this this sort of gospel um, vibe, you know, that he is so enraptured with. Um, and then, of course, he you know, he talks about Reverend Green. The, but the third verse, I, I think, is the one that obviously really cements the song. He did go see the W.C. Handy statue, too. Yes, W.C. Okay. Handy is mentioned, and you can it's easy to miss or mishear that, and if you don't know you know, who W.C. Handy was, um, then it's it can be kind of missed, but he was a sort of a early blues um, legend uh, from Memphis. Um, but it's the, it's the third verse that makes the song. I mean, it's a, it's a, it, was, it was a very good song, and the third verse makes it an all-time great. Uh, and it's specifically the line, but he's talking as we as we said about he's playing with Muriel Wilkins and they're singing Amazing Grace, and she says, uh, "Tell me, yeah, are, are you, you a Christian child?" And he says, "Ma'am, I am tonight." Uh, that's just that's just the whole thing. Like it puts it puts such a bow on the whole song, and the one of the production uh, ideas that I think is really great on this song. Is that um, that that word tonight doesn't land on the beat? It actually lands after the beat, and the band does an accent with that after the beat. So it's like, uh, "Tell me, are you a Christian child?" And I said, "Ma'am, I am tonight." Uh, walk in, and and it gives you this great. I'm like, "That's a great." It would have been so easy to just let them hit the downbeat and do an accent and let his vocal fall where it fell, but it it holds off even on the the hit that you expect and gives you this extra little thing that just drives you right into the chorus. And then the chorus is just wide open, you know, and got the gospel singers and the, you know, in the chorus and all that stuff. Oh, that's probably who, uh, Ada, Dyer, Vivian, Cherry. And, I imagine so. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Unless that's a, yeah, that was a really good Ada Dyer impression. Well, you know, I studied under her, her Ada, I guess I assume probably. probably, um, I don't know. Vivian um, Cherry, actually no relation to Eagle Eye Cherry. Really? No. That's really disappointing. That's I um, actually, I kind of hope no one is related to Eagle Eye Cherry. <laughs> the <laughs> next podcast will not be... I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Save, Tonight. Save Tonight is not going to make it this podcast. It will not make the list. Um, do you have thoughts? What is, it, what is the third verse to you? I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, yeah, I, I really can't add anything more to that. That was, that that's, was money. That that's was what long. takes it from, from being a, uh, a B-plus, low-A song yeah. to an a plus yeah, plus exactly um and and he and even more so now that i know the story of the song that it's he as a jew being um being just sort of enraptured by this you know spiritual side of what he's feeling in in the city uh and around all this gospel music i just think uh i just think it's uh, it's so cool I, at first i just thought you know he's a songwriter and he's saying 
you know, for, for, for a dollar, I'll be anything for, for an evening. You know what I mean? Like if I can, if I can make some money from this tip jar, I'll be a Christian tonight. It's fine. Much more cynical than it actually was actually way better than that. Because he's like, man, this is, I'm feeling this. Like, let's do that. I'm a Christian tonight. You better believe it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm call me, call me. I don't know what. Um, it's like people that go to a Vols game they've never been. They're like, well, I'm not a real Vols fan, but, <laughs> but today I'm a Vols fan. I you got me. It. You got me for these three hours here. Um, although maybe not. Maybe. I, I mean, really, it's yeah, it's, it's 2017. The Vols are awful. <laughs> uh, I think yesterday they almost got beat by UMass. So, which is three and fourteen against ranked teams. Let's just let's let's just not. How about that? Uh, let's keep it positive. We're in southeastern Tennessee, by the way. That's where yes. we live. Actually, JP lives in Middle Tennessee. I do. I live outside of Nashville. Music City, USA. In the metropolis known as Hendersonville, Tennessee. Hendersonville, where the magic is made. About two miles from Johnny Cash's old house. Taylor Swift. Nice. Not not true musicianship. Uh, can you can you tell the people what you told Taylor Swift's dad when you met him? I did. <laughs> if you're listening. Uh, Mr. Swift, forgive me for this, but no, uh, I actually worked for a company called Enterprise. I don't know if I'm allowed to plug the company, but came in to uh, get a car from us, and uh, he asked if I wanted an autographed picture of his daughter when she was first getting started out, and I was like, no, that's okay. I'm not a not a very big fan, but thank you. So I appreciate it. So I actually told you refused. Taylor Swift's dad that I would not like a picture of his daughter. So. Thank you. I ended up getting one anyway. Um, oh, really? Not that he insisted, but that I felt bad. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Give me one. And I gave it away <laughs> to a friend. So I have a friend oh, named Samantha that now has that Taylor Swift picture. So, there you go. Okay. Do you have any uh, uh, closing thoughts on walking in Memphis? Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Man, it's been, it's, been been fun, it's been a fun first episode. Thank you guys for hanging. I promise we'll get better at this. We'll get better um, and quicker. Oh, confession. I'm going to do a confession every podcast. Bing! With a little bell. Um, I have only listened to one podcast prior to doing this. And, and that it was? was the Serial Podcast. Serial. Mm. Which set the bar pretty darn high. D- yeah, so definitely a good I intentionally one. did not listen to any other podcast prior to doing this. So we, are not, we are not aiming for the quality of Serial. No. Because who's got a year and a half, two years to put into research of a podcast? No, 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 no. We don't have that kind of time. Uh, nor do we care to put in that kind of effort. So, uh, but we will be with you next week. Do us a favor. If you're listening and you like what you hear, go to the iTunes or, or podcast page of your choice, subscribe, uh, rate us five stars, leave a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback. And, um, do that's my space post, whatever, my space friendster, I see Q, I think we're going to be on. <laughs> um, so be, just be looking for us on all those places. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at great song pod. Uh, we'd love to get a follow there and uh, get some feedback from you. Let us know you're out there. Let us know where you're listening from. And, uh, that's going to wrap it up for episode one yeah. of the great song Thanks, podcast. Guys. Thanks that's for walking in Memphis. We'll see you next week. Enjoy yourselves. <laughs>